Hello, CBCC friends. Lisa here to give you a little heads up that our audio quality may not be up to our usual standard. This mini ep was not recorded in the love nest. No, Brad and I have flown the coop and took our handheld recorder with us. Don't fret. You'll still hear everything. And while our audio quality has suffered, our love for Rogue and Gambit has not. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. session with the comic book couples counseling podcast i'm lisa gullickson i'm brad gullickson and each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm in this very special mini episode we are reporting from the mobile love nest unit about the adjectiveless x-men number 30 the ties that bind the wedding of scott summers and gene gray and we'll be applying one of Dr. scottsman's that's a tongue twister (laughs) no retakes doctor's Gotsman's open-ended questions from eight dates, essential conversations for a lifetime of love. Lisa. Yeah. We're in Utah. Yeah, we are. It's I. We look out the window of our Holiday Inn in Heber City. Don't stalk us. And there is a beautiful snow-covered mountain. It is gorgeous. Uh, this elevation is doing something weird to my guts. Yeah, Br- Brad's been having some digestive issues. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. But that's all right, because here we are. Now, we are taking a slight interruption in our regular Gambit and Rogue talk. Don't leave. Don't don't turn us off yet. Don't turn us off. But we wanted to make sure we got some cool CBCC content going while we were at the Sundance Film Festival. We thought we would do a couple episodes where we focus on single issues or significant single issues. And like Lisa said, we are covering uh, X-Men Volume 2, Number 30, written by Fabian Nietzsche, with art by Andy Kubert and Matt Ryan, Bill Oakley's The Letterer, Joe Rosas is The Colorist, Bob Harris is The Editor, and Tom DeFalco's The Chief. Fun! This was a huge issue in my youth. It was published in March of 1994. I would have been 14 years old at the time. As you probably already know, if you've listened to our first four CBCC episodes detailing the romance of Scott and Jean, I was madly in love with this couple. I was rooting for this couple. This couple has an insane backstory (laughs) involving clones and future babies and alternate timelines. It's a lot to wrap your heads around. But here we are, finally, Scott Summers and Jean Grey, they're getting married. Somebody's getting married. And, like, this is, like I said last week with issues 24 and issues 8 of uh, X-Men Volume 2, like my favorite kind of story, where it's not about the action, it takes a break, and it just hangs out with these characters, whether it's a basketball game or a baseball game, or that Papa Cajun's gumbo <laughs> joint in uh, New York that Rogan and, and uh, Remy went to, like, or this wedding. Like, it just, 
it slows everything down and reminds the reader why we come to X-Men and why we come to Marvel Comics. It's for these characters. Yeah, there's, in terms of plot, very little happens. We get to see a little bit of Sabretooth. He, he's uh, hanging around outside, feeling his feels. Apparently he was in a jail cell at this time at the X-Mansion, but for whatever reason, for the wedding, they also wanted to give him some fresh air, <laughs> and they let him hang out uh, on the snowy bank. But that's why uh, Wolverine left him that note in the snow. Well, can we, let, can we start this conversation with Wolverine? We're going to. I do want to um, do a little bit of Gottman talk, Yo. little eight dates talk. All right, all right, all right. Um, because we do want to keep the counseling part of the comic book couples counseling still going. Lisa says that like as if I want to jettison all the counseling talk just to talk about comics. He does. That's not true, Lisa. Uh, This is one of the areas in which I do not trust you. (laughs) (laughs) And our topic today is going to be um, the topic of trust. The very first of the eight dates is, let me see the beginning. The date number one is trust and commitment, which I think is perfect for this particular issue because they are getting married, they're committing to each other, and I think that they, with their history... They've had trust issues. They've had trust <laughs> issues. So um, so at the end of our conversation about this issue, um, we're going to be having one of the open-ended question conversations from this chapter. Okay, okay. So stay tuned. I'm excited about that. I Sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> So X-Men number 30, like when you first turn the cover, uh, the the title page looks like a wedding invitation, uh, but the, the, the main body of the page is a pair of mitts belonging to Jean Grey unfolding um, like a scroll. <laughs> it, it looks like uh, he took the piece of paper and then aged it like you would like if you had like a fourth grade um, like (laughs) Like assignment assignment, like oh I'm going to cover it in tea and I'm going to burn the edges of the candle and now it looks old and so it's a letter from Logan uh, to Gene and Scott on their wedding day at least I just want to read the letter oh please so it says Gene and Scott what am I going to say I don't even know I've never been too good at writing down the things I feel inside I just wanted to let you two know how much you meant to me, how much the things you did for me mattered. You guys are something special, and most times you don't even see it. You go together like fire and ice, like a hurricane and its eye. It sounds strange, but it fits. One can't exist without the other. Although fire and ice, yeah, that's like, not they a really extinguish good each other or, you know, they, they don't hang out. Well, you know. It's Wolverine. Uh, Each one makes the whole stronger than the parts. I'm leaving for now because the old knucklehead. (laughs) I like how we wrote that out phonetically. (laughs) Yeah, the old knucklehead's parts ain't better than the whole anymore. Uh, X-Men 25 has just happened. Magneto has ripped the adamantium from his body. He's just got his brittle bones to deal with. Now he's fragile both physically and emotionally. Um, And so continuing... Besides, it's time to take the next step in life. Maybe you should look at each other with new eyes, the way I've had to look at myself, and ask yourselves, isn't it time we do the same thing? Isn't it time we took the next step in our lives to love Logan? And, like, I was shocked. I have not read this comic in 20 years. Yeah. Um, But I was shocked. And turning the cover and going right to that letter from Logan to Gene and Scott on their wedding day, 
I was weirdly emotional. Like, it hit me immediately. I thought that it was, I mean... It's bizarre. I like wonder... It's, it's a funky, awkward letter. The only way Wolverine can write them. <laughs> well, to me, I wonder about the timeline when Logan left the letter and his expectation of when exactly she would read it. Mm-hmm. Because... While she's getting her wedding dress fitted. Because... <laughs> Um, even though I think it's appropriate for him to leave them a letter, this is a very special time and he is leaving and he has a lot to get off of his chest. But they do have an awkward love triangle thing going. Exactly. And so you don't necessarily like, I think it's a little selfish of him to insert himself in at this time. But I also think it's inappropriate for Jean to be reading this letter. Without Scott! Without Scott. As she's being fitted for her wedding dress. And uh, Professor X is also holding a letter from Logan. And he does the more appropriate thing of going like, this day is about Scott and Jean. I'm going to leave this letter in my pocket and I'm going to read it later. Yeah. So me for her reading this letter with Aurora fixing her dress and her mother being there and her daughter from another timeline being there. I just, I like to me, it goes to show that Jean, Jean, Jean's emotions are not resolved when it comes to Wolverine, Wolverine. and it's affecting her judgment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, but I, I just want to just get back to the, how I felt. And okay. like, while as, while I, when I finished that letter, um, I had the same things that you did, especially knowing that later on in this issue, Wolverine's actually not that far away. He's hanging out on the hill watching Sabretooth <laughs> and also peeping in on the wedding, right? right? So clearly, there's a lot of pain attached to this letter. And I think that's what I responded to. Is yeah. I responded to the pain that Wolverine has felt because of his feelings towards Jean. And I responded to the pain that Jean must be feeling also and the complications that she is feeling towards Wolverine on her wedding day. And you got to remember, like, you know, Scott thought Jean was dead. He married another woman named Madeline Pryor. Right. She turned out to be a clone of Jean. Creepy. Created by Mr. Sinister. Right. Uh, she turns into a villain, tries to kill her baby with Scott. But in her defense, there was a time where uh, Jean also turned into a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, really, like, if you want more details on this storyline, you need to go back to CBCC episode number two where we covered it all in X Factor. But, like... Jean has a lot of trust issues with Scott because of all of that stuff. Scott had proposed to Jean after the whole Madeline thing, and Jean had turned him down. And now Jean has felt like they've resolved that uncomfortable X-Factor Inferno phase, and she has proposed to Scott, and she is bringing this union together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which is important. It's th- important because of what she's been through that this happened on... And what Scott has been to, that this happens on, like, the the fact that they've mutually proposed to each other, essentially. Right. And so, like, I just think this is the most powerful way you could possibly start this issue. And I think that a lot of people give Fabian ECA crap about his era of X-Men comics. But in revisiting the adjectiveless X-Men and reading the last Chris Claremont issues, I gotta say... I much prefer Fabian Nietzsche to the the last three Claremont issues we read or the Scott Lobdell issue we read. I I love issue 24 and I really dig 30. I think that that's not a fair comparison like directly like 
comparing this directly to Claremont's last issues, considering what he had been yeah, going through. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Claremont, like, at his height in the Dark Phoenix saga stuff, that is, like, my favorite X-Men stuff in all its melodramatic glory. Right. I'm not saying that this is better than that. I'm just saying that people tend to dump on Nietzsche, and I think that's unfair because he does deliver the goods in the issues that we've read recently. Right, right. And the, the issues that we've read have been these kind of breaks in the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we really enjoy. Yeah, right, 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 right. Okay, so that's how the comic opens. Right. And I and I enjoy that as well, but at the same time, as a person who has been a bride, I had um one I had a one of my friends, Bruce. Uh Oh man, Bruce. I never <laughs> met Bruce, but I know a lot about Bruce. Because of this event. So he was a close friend of mine and my little, and all of my I did not you know you were going to bring this up. Okay. And it was 11 o'clock the night, and I, he never responded to my wedding invitation. And um, so I, so I was like, okay, well, Bruce is a flake. I completely understand whatever. He's not going to be there. So the night of my wedding before my wedding, he calls me at 11 p.m. to apologize about not being able to make it to the wedding. And the reason he couldn't make it is because, you know, he just didn't want to accept that um, I was getting married and I was moving on to this whole other part of my life. And I was just like, okay, whatever, Bruce. I'm supposed to be getting my beauty rest. I'm getting married to the man I love tomorrow. And the last thing I want to be thinking about is your dumb ass. So, like, so, so Bruce it, is your Wolverine. He is my Wolverine, except for, like, I would never. You never uh, made out with him during the extinction no, agenda? No, we, okay. had, we, had never, we had never smooched. <laughs> we had never uh, had any kind of high-stakes apocalypse-level yeah. You never issues. cuddled up in a jail cell? Nope, not okay. even at once. Okay. But at the same time, I just think that, that like, m- what I'm going to tell myself is that Logan never intended for her to be reading it at this time. Mm, maybe. Or right. maybe he wanted to, like, insert himself the way Bruce well, did. Well, that is not very mature of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you turn the page, we see uh, Jean nervously reading the letter, and Aurora is like, stop fidgeting, I'm trying to get you dressed. Like, to me, this whole scene doesn't feel very joyful. It feels like tense. It looks tense and not fun. And I think one of the things that stands out to me is how excluded her mother feels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the themes of this comic where I, I feel bad for the human beings in the X-Men's lives that because of the pain that they went through. And I, and I think that a lot of LGBT folks might have that same kind of thing where they had a coming out process and it was very emotional and painful for the family because of the times that we're in. And that creates this schism, right? And then the family you choose, in this case... The X-Men. The X-Men, become that relationship begins to eclipse the people who started your life with you. And I imagine that that is very painful for uh, like Jean's mom. But they do like Jean and her mother do share a sweet moment. They do. You know, where, you know, she's, she's 
happy for her daughter. In the, in she she is, and and I think that um, she is glad to be included. But then also there is this daughter from another well, timeline. But thing. I love that, right? So you go from this like you know, mom, I'm going to be happy. You know, thank you for everything you've done. You know, you're you're setting me off into my new phase of life. Where she's the daughter talking to the mom, and now she's the mother talking to her daughter from an alternate timeline, Rachel yes, Summers. Yes. Um, and we get to like experience their kind of rocky relationship because Jean was incredibly uncomfortable when she learned of the uh, existence of Rachel Summers. Uh-huh. Um, and this is the moment where Jean's like, you know what? If I marry Scott and in my future I have a daughter that's as rad as you are, then I'm blessed. I think I that is a very beautiful moment. And so I like how the conversation with Jean's mom goes right into the conversation with Jean's alternate timeline daughter conversation. I think this I think it's just really powerful. It is powerful. But yes, but... it is tense. I'm interrupting <laughs> you, Lisa. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I I just want to parallel this later with the father daughter dance oh, at God. the end. Uh huh. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so let's turn the page. All right, turn the page. Now we have um, Scott's getting ready scene. And this one is much more jovial, much more fun. We have Bobby doing like the old ball and chain narrative, <laughs> which is always so charming. Yeah, Lisa <laughs> loves it when it lead into the ball and chain narrative. Uh, yeah, that's something that Brad likes to do. As a jokety joke, and it hurts my feelings every time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a bastard. Um, there is a fleeting mention in... Um, so, I didn't get this at first. Maybe I'm a little slow. But in Yellow Boxes, Professor X is doing a narration over this entire thing. At first, I thought it was... Jean. Jean. because yes, same, same. Because she also has, like, the... The brain telekinetic tele- stuff. not telekinetic because that's moving things. Um, telepathic. Yeah. She ha- she's also got both. she's got the telepathic powers and she can be kind of, you know, reaching out her little brain feelers to see where everybody is at. But it turns out it is Professor X, and he is, and he makes a fleeting mention of Scott's first. And by fleeting, I mean like he's like, yeah, Scott's been married one time. What of it? They don't even say Madeline. They're, he's he's not even thinking about it right now. He's <laughs> totally thinking about Gene. Yeah, well, I love in that, that panel at the top where Professor X mentions the marriage from before. Suddenly we have a very solemn expression on Scott and reflected in his ruby quartz glasses are his bros around him mm-hmm. who are fully aware of the shenanigans that have gone on in his life. Right. They were probably all there at his first wedding. Yes. This is probably weirdly reminiscent for them. I didn't even think about that. What did you think about the whole uh, bow tie situation? I thought it was cute. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, none of these kids, they're all children, right? They can't tie their own tie. And here comes Daddy X to, to tie But also, bow. like, that bow tie is like, it's like... A half an inch thick and like nine miles long. Like it makes zero sense. It would take a genius <laughs> like Professor, Professor X, X yeah. to be able to tie that thing. Professor X is also has his little story arc about how he feels like their father and he feels his kids kind of growing up and moving out and he's 
kind of feeling like maybe they're not going to need old, old Papa Professor X anymore. Yeah, but then he ties that bow tie. He's like, you still need a dad. <laughs> I love it. I yeah, love it's it. really sweet. Um, all right. And then you, we move on along the issue. We get a really beautiful shot. I love this image of... The double page spread of the wedding. Of Well, this is the anticipation before the wedding. So um, in mo- I've only seen this in movies where they have like this awkward time... Well, it's an outdoor wedding at the school, and uh, Scott is just standing there waiting waiting for Jean Grey to arrive. But then we get like a, a Scott Summers eye view of everybody in anticipation waiting for the wedding to start. And Who's no- your favorite? Let's just straight up tell me when you look at the spread of all the uh, uh, guests – who who stands out the most to you? Who stands out the most to me? Ooh, I didn't think about this. Well, Jubilee looks miserable. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you have Gambit and Rogue. They're, they're holding hands. They're together. They're like a couple now. Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, my eyes went right to it, Lisa. Oh, where? You tell me. Psylocke with her boobs out. Oh, <laughs> there's always one. But you- Psylocke has always, like... Used her cleavage to woo the eyeline of Scott Summers. Who wouldn't? If I like, if I had a bod, bod like Psylocke, I would never but, be close. But look at her; she's front row. She is standing while everyone else is sitting. Her hands are literally fists. They're clenched, and her, <laughs> she has like chest forward. She's like, "Yo, well, we you, can call this off right now and get with this." You remember what my piano teacher from the time I was 10 years old. You remember what she wore to our wedding, right? She wore I a skin <laughs> skin tight I cheetah do. print. I do. That I lady do. is the most. There's always one at every wedding. Nobody knows what to wear. Yeah, but I mean, like, this is why you buy the comic, right? You buy it for this spread. Yeah, nobody looks happy, though. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, oh, yeah, no. Artie and Leech, they look miserable. <laughs> Uh, Bishop, he's, he's got a smile on his face. Is he, does, is he's enjoying, yeah, he, that's a smile. And he's enjoying the shoulder touch from Rachel Summers. They're two individuals outside of their own timeline. They get each other. Oh, that's nice that they have each other. Um, but well, Quicksilver, um, and with his daughter with Crystal, they, they're, he's, he's got a smile on. Is that a smile? And I don't know who that blurry dude is in the back, but, uh, he's got a little bit of a smile too. Yes. Yeah, presumably there are some human, human regular OG. Yeah, well, I mean, humans. there's you know, Mrs. Gray. Uh, Moira's there. The, the, um, who are they? I thought that that was. I don't know. That, well, that's. Uh, I don't know. Is that Jean's? I think these are Jean's parents. No, no, this is Jean's mother. She's got the same outfit on as she had before. I don't know who these people are. Uh, well, let's just turn the page. Let's this just... is a bunch of white people, though. Oh, no, no, Bishop. Oh, no, there you go. There's two. Oh, uh, yep. Two yeah. people of color. Yep, yep. Oh, and then, you know, Psylocke, she's a white person in an Asian body. <laughs> that's not weird. And Storm, she's the maiden of honor. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I like that even, like, Gambit still can't resist openly hitting on Aurora as she walks down the aisle. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Rogue is like, will you hush? <laughs> Looking good, Stormy. Yeah. He's not wrong. Um... Um, Mr. Mr. Gray. Gray, he does get to give Jean away. And I think that that's really lovely. Just like my father gave me away. Don't start crying. Don't I'm, start crying. I'm not. <laughs> All right. And then now we have the ceremony. The priest is there. Is that a priest? I don't think it's a, pri- a priest. Minister. Yeah. I don't. I, Officiant. You know, I don't know these religious terms. Yeah. And I don't even know what uh, denomination this wedding is. It's certainly not Catholic. 
Well, yeah. Because uh, Catholics not allowed to get married outside. Well, that's true. Uh, but they they tie this bow around their wrists. Listeners, if you know what denomination that 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 is uh, happening here, let me know because I am actually I curious. Th- I know that that's a Greek Orthodox thing, right? The, Tying them together. Again, Lisa, religion and I have no idea what's going on. I don't know. I, I've, I've watched my big fat Greek wedding like a handful of times. But what I find interesting is that you know, Scott and Jean have uh, put their vows together beforehand, but neither of them get to read it to each other. The priest reads both of their sides to them. Um, and can we just read that? Yeah, sure. Uh, th- so this is the, the minister reading the vows of both Scott and Jean. There were times I was lost and you found me. There were days which were heavy and you lightened my heart. Through it all, since the day when we met, there was you for me and me for you. That hasn't changed. That will never change. Times have been good and times have been bad. And still, our love has endured and triumphed. I take Scott Summers to be my lawfully wedded husband. Now this is, um, oh yeah. Yeah, it's still still going. Uh, I take Jean Grey to be my lawfully wedded wife. Through pain and passion, through sorrow and hope, through death and through life, no matter what tomorrow may bring, we will face it together. I now pronounce you husband and wife. And then the minister, in this one little panel... Making the creepiest face. Creepiest face says, let's see a kiss now. And I swear to God, I thought that was Mr. Sinister. You did? I thought Mr. Sinister in disguise... You know, all his plans coming together. This is the moment he's been waiting for. Have you Googled that shit? I have. I can't find any evidence that that minister is actually Mr. Sinister, but I could be wrong. Again, listeners, let me know. But that is one sinister-looking minister saying, let's see a kiss now. That sounds like uh, like a... Who am I thinking of? <sighs> My voice? No. I don't know. I don't know. But they end up passionately kissing, and Professor X says... And what a kiss we see indeed. Also a little creepy. (laughs) Uh, The hoorays start with Jubilee. The applause, I realize, much to my surprise, starts with me. Professor X starts the applause. Yay, that's so sweet. Yeah, so they're married, Scott and Jean. And it's time to, like, get down and party. But. But. Snowy Hill. Meanwhile, outside. (laughs) Sabretooth. On the loose. (laughs) On the loose. Roving, uh, you know, he's like, I could, I could turn this part and make it he, miserable. He's considering a crashing, crashing the wedding. But he gets a thump, and then there's a little, little message for him written in the snow. Don't even think about it, and it's from Wolverine. Exciting, yeah. That, but but that's all that happens. That's as much plot as something yeah. somebody considers doing something dastardly, but it doesn't happen. And you know, Polaris and Alex Summers, Cyclops's brother, they have a little moment at the party. Everyone's asking Polaris, when are they getting married? And she doesn't want to hear it. Um, but why are we here? Why are we here? We're in the middle of our conversation regarding Remy and Rogue. And here is the big Rogue and Gambit moment of X-Men 30. In our conversation about Rogue and Gambit, we oft, often talk about, like, their banter, especially in their, like, courting phase. They, um, Rogue likes to tease him that she's not actually interested. He likes to tease her by showing that he is interested in everything with two <laughs> legs and two boobs. Stormy um, looking good. Yeah, but um, these two pages, there are these, like, little fleeting moments that show that they are truly committed to each other. And um, in this particular issue, it is the 
two tradition, um, reception traditions of the tossing of the bouquet and the super gauche, I do not approve of garter belts. Well, Jean makes a comment about it. She's uh, like, are we seriously doing this? But then... Tradition. Ugh, gross. Um, but uh, Rogue uses her hyper ability and agility and ability to fly to catch the bouquet, and then Gambit does similar to catch yeah, he the uses, garter. He, he uses his kinetic energy and he blows up the the bunch of bros so that he gets that garter. We did do the bouquet toss, but we did not do the garter belt because gross. And when we did the feeding each other the cake thing, for one thing, that like... I did th- we do that? We did, but it was just, it felt like a photo opportunity. And so it was more oh, like, yeah, let's yeah, pose yeah, yeah. with the cake and let's feed... So, it really felt like a nothing situation. Who but caught the bouquet at our wedding? I was trying to remember. I think it may have been Amy. I think it was Amy, I, too. I'm also terrible at throwing. And so, like, the mm-hmm. having to throw, like, over my head, I didn't get much of an yeah. arc at all. Rogue Mine would was, not have to have flown to catch <laughs> no. your bouquet. It went right to the I'm ground. I'm like, well, why? Like, it's bringing in, like... Like, our wedding reception brings in all of my insecurities. I have to throw a thing. I'm wearing a strapless dress. A stupid idea. And then later I have to dance. The whole thing was mortifying. Mm. But wow. I did not smash the cake into your face because I am a sophisticate. Unlike Jean Grey. Yeah, yeah. She smashes it. She mm-hmm. smashes it good. Uh, and again, like, as they go forward uh, and they're, uh, you know, on a hillside somewhere, uh, you know, in silhouette with the moon out, we see Scott and Jean. Just they're catching a quiet moment together. Pressing bellies together. That uh, is a weird silhouette. And and uh, who's watching them but their uh, timeline children. <laughs> yeah, Cable and <laughs> Cable Rachel. Cable and Rachel. <laughs> Awkward. Oh, gosh. They're like, ooh, their seeds will make us. But, Lisa, yes. you loved your first dance with your dad. What did you dance to? I'm a believer. I'm a From believer. the monkeys, of That's course. Right. Uh, and and my dad laughed and he's like, are you serious? <laughs> and I was like, I'm deadly serious. Uh, and we get a, a great uh, father-daughter dance here, except it's not her father. Well, he does. She, they do have a father-daughter dance with her daughter wh- where she dances with her father and then her mother dances with, with Scott, Scott yeah. which is kind of sweet considering that Scott is an orphan. Well, his dad is up in space. Yeah. He's alive. He's Corsair. But he didn't always know that. Yeah, that's true. Like, so he was raised as an orphan. He's never really had proper parents. Yeah. So this kind of gesture, like, adopting them into their little dysfunctional family is very sweet. Yeah, good point. Um, But then that is completely overshadowed by Jean inviting Professor X to dance. And he's like, what? I'm in a wheelchair. And she's like, no, you ain't. And she uses her telekinesis to raise him from his chair and dance with him. Despite the fact that they're both weirdly in the mutant closet. Yeah. At this point in the franchise, uh, Gene and professor X weren't out and proud. That really wouldn't happen until Grant Morrison took over with new X-Men mm. and Cassandra Nova inhabited his brain and outed him to the public. Uh, we talked about that in CBCC episode number four. That we did. Um, all right. Uh, anything else we need to say about this issue? Well, we have this beautiful moment between Scott and Professor X, and Professor X has been feeling insecure through this. He like he's been feeling a sense of loss mm-hmm. with his kind of oldest son, yeah. Scott Summers, growing up and moving out. And they have this really sweet moment where 
um, Scott comes in to tell him, like, you know, like, I haven't always articulated this to you, and it's really important to me that you know this through all that we've been through, and you know me better than anybody else, and I want you to know that I love you, Charles Xavier. Yeah, I mean... And that kind of resolves um, Professor X's storyline throughout yeah, like he's issue. had a tremendous impact on Scott and like And he is effectively Scott's father. He yeah. was Scott was untethered yeah. before him. Yep, yep, yep. For sure, for sure. And uh, you know, this panel emphasizes that Scott is a true believer. Yeah. Um and that is both a great thing and sometimes, you know, later on down the line, a couple decades from now, this public this issue is published. It's a, also a terrifying thing. It can be a scary thing that belief. Uh, yeah. So I appreciate that moment a lot. The final page is Professor X getting a first. Le- he gets a, a message from Moira. Yeah, uh, which is tying into the legacy virus which killed Ileana uh, mm-hmm. Rasputin, uh, and Moira saying that I think the key to solving or to curing the legacy virus rests in Cable's DNA. Uh, he reads that and then out drops. Professor Charlie's, uh, or the letter to Professor Charlie, uh, to Chuck uh, from Wolverine, from Logan. Yeah. And what does that letter say, Lisa? Dear Chuck, lighten up your old pal, Logan. Yeah, he doesn't have as much uh, fire in his belly (laughs) (laughs) as he did with Scott and Gene. Professor X, your legs are like fire and your chair is like ice. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, but it gives Professor X a laugh. And the final panel is an exterior shot of the X Mansion. And we see uh, a, a series of ha-ha-has coming from the skyline. And the final uh, caption reads, a dawning of renewed hope. Um, I don't know, Lisa, like, I, I've already said what I felt about this issue. Like, I really loved revisiting it. Um, how, how do you think it stacks up, especially to the issues that we covered last week uh, with the early 90s X-Men books? I think it's an extraordinarily sweet issue. Um, if a little surface level, you know, obviously it's just a little glimpse into the ceremony, not really going deep into all of you know, just like a wedding is. Yeah. You don't like go like, this is our wedding. Here's our entire relationship history. It and makes nods to the rocky road that brought these people here. Um, you know, Fabi Nietzsche, he did an interview, I think, with Adventures in Poor Taste blog, where he talked about the Professor X narration and how his original version of this comic was much more brutal in uh-huh. recognizing. I want to read that. Yeah, and I so do I. I want to read so that. Do I. But apparently Bob Harris was like, no, 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 no. This is too too ugly. <laughs> we need to uh, re- revise it. It needs to bit. be a celebration. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's a celebration issue. It's a celebration issue. And, you know, like I said, I love it. I still think that Priest is um, Mr. Sinister. So, okay. What, eight dates? Eight dates. So, like I said, we're going to do... One of the open-ended questions uh, from uh, Dr. John Gottsman and Julie Schwartz, Gottsman's book, Eight Dates. Um, where are you going? I'm just I'm grabbing a thing for the end of this episode. Oh, okay. Um, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> so the date is trust and commitment. I cannot focus because... Um, I'm racking my brain. Who is that musician? Oh, no. He had crazy hair, and he did, like, super experimental prog rock in the late 60s. Crazy hair. We watched one of his, like, concert 
um, uh, videos. David Bowie. No, and it was introduced by one of the guys from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because he had produced it. Oh, 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 you're thinking of um, the Roxbury documentary, uh, Frank Zappa. Thank you. <laughs> Sinister Minister sounds like a Frank Zappa song. <laughs> I prom from that, from the time you said Sinister Minister to now, I have been 40% not present. Oh, I could tell. <laughs> God damn it. And I was like drawing a picture in his head. I was like. Yeah. We're in the hotel room. We don't have our board with us. So we're not. No editing. <laughs> yeah, we channel and we edit our episodes to because I have the most absent of brains. No, this is live. This is live, live, live. Oh, or as close man. to it as possible. Okay. All right. So, okay. Sinister Minister, Frank okay. Zappa. So. Um, uh, uh, the, it's John not, Gottman insists. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you keep trying to skip this part. John Gottman insists that um, the way to maintain a relationship is to continue to be curious about each other. Mm. And one of the ways to do that is to have these deep conversations where you ask open-ended questions. And lucky for us, in his book, or their book, they include a list of yeah. open-ended questions on various subjects, and those make up the eight dates. All so right. hit me with one. This is date number one, trust and commitment. We're just going to do one of the questions, and I'm going to do ask you the openest of the open questions, and then I'm going to put a little tag on it to make it a little bit more X-Men related. Um, but what does trust mean to you? And then if you would like to also include what does trust mean to the various X-Men, you can include that as well. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Let's do, let's we, both do what does trust mean to you um, first, and then we'll discuss the X-Men. Um, what does trust mean to me, Brad Gullickson, your husband? Uh, I, I think tr what trust is is uh, seeing your partner as, like, an extension of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, you, like, I, 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 it's not like I know everything that's in your head, but I have zero concern or worry, uh, about how you're going to react to my feelings, um, or, um, you know, how, uh, you're going to react away from me. Like I, I, like I have, and this could be a lie maybe, but I really do believe I have zero jealousy as far as, um, you know, my trust with you and other dudes or whatever, if that's <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, but, I, but I'm, I'm more, I think the most important form of trust is being able to express yourself fully to your partner and know like, Lisa, I've got the bubble guts, and you're not going to make fun of me because I have the bubble guts. No, I won't. You know? Well, I won't make. I will make fun of you, but it'll be in like a fun way. <laughs> right, right, right. You won't think less of me because I have the bubble guts. Yeah. Um, or, or you know, like this morning, um, you were writing an article for the After Movie Diner, and I was writing an article for Film School Rejects, and I can freely unload all my terrible thoughts and <laughs> terrible ideas to you, and you can help me make them into better thoughts and less terrible ideas. Yeah, that is something that, um, a concept about marriage, where it's just like, like a free and open sharing of all ideas, like in a link, uh, a judgment-free zone by Pete Holmes on his podcast, You Made It Weird. 
he was talking about um, his relationship with his wife, Valerie, and he said, and he referred to it as uh, weeding each other's garden. Yeah, yeah. Where I can express my ugly thoughts to you, and you can help me process them and put them into perspective without it reflecting poorly on me as a person. And you can do the same for me. I think that's a, an important part of trust, where you go like, I trust that there's nothing that I could do. Um, Nothing that I would do that would make you not love me anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's no thought I could have. There's no opinion I could take. Like... Yeah, yeah. Unless I took one that was completely contrary to me as a person. Well, I mean, if you start boning other dudes, I might have a <laughs> That would have hurt your it. feelings. Uh, I think another huge part of trust for me is that I trust that you always have my best interests in mind. So even at times where... Um, like, especially early in our marriage... Like, in terms of, like, um, uh, like we have different bodily needs. Like, I need to be fed oh, yeah. on a regular schedule uh-huh. every four to six hours. And Brad is a little bit more like a camel where he'll <laughs> eat, like, one time and then he'll just, like, go for days. And it, it, and it, was, particu- it was particularly apparent... When we would do conventions. Or Sundance. We've had this conversation already uh, yesterday. <laughs> right. So, like, um, like I, but early in our marriage, like, at our first Comic-Con, um, I would, I tried to adapt Brad's eating schedule, and the results were disastrous. <laughs> like, I became emotional. I became irritable and angry. And, um, I think that, you know, that, that but, comes down to me, though, too. Right. But I know now, like, I express, and I have to advocate. I know that in our marriage, I have to advocate for myself when it comes to this particular need. But but when you forget about it or you deprioritize it, it's not because you don't care about what my needs are. It's just, like, like I don't think that any of your actions are to be hurtful towards me. Mm-hmm. They might be like, you know, absent-minded because you're excited, but nothing I trust that nothing you do is to harm me specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that, that's an excellent example. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, what about with the X-Men trust-wise? I think that um I think that maybe Professor X has some abandonment issues. Mhm. And as does Scott Summers. As does Scott Summers. Um, what is Professor X's family history? I just realized I don't really know. Uh, I mean, I, um, I know beyond like his early day relationship with Eric Magneto, I don't know if I know off the top of my head either. But I think that his relationship with Magneto would be a huge well, emotional scar. His various romantic failings also with Lilandra and Moira and so, yeah, uh, I think Legion's he has, mom. If we go to attachment theory, <laughs> like I think he has a little bit of an anxious attachment. Yeah. I think that Scott Summers also has a bit of an anxious attachment. I think a great example of Scott's anxious attachment is not from this issue, but from our last episode where we saw him and Jean reunite at the airport, mm-hmm. where he was... 
Oh, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Where in X Men twenty four? Right. Yeah, yeah. Where he had just become aware of some <laughs> Mister Sinister shenanigans. Right, and instead of staying with Gene and going through it together, he preferred to Go leave mm-hmm. and process his emotions on his own. That's a sign of anxious attachment. Yeah, and that happened big time in X Factor when yeah. we talked about that too, because uh, the way he handled you know his anxiety. And he could not share anything with Madeline. So he ha- he has some trust issues. Yeah. What about Jean? Uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, with Jean, and especially with Wolverine, she does not trust herself around Wolverine because she is um, uh, dramatically attracted to Logan. Yeah. Um, like, like... His, she's got the hots. She's got a, the hots for that little fuzzball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she doesn't trust herself. I think that Rogue is another one who is plagued with distrust of herself. Mm-hmm. And that is because of... Her her curse. Her, her curse and, and her history with Cody. Mm-hmm. And so I think... But I think this issue, X-Men 30, is a big moment for the relationship of Gambit and Rogue. In the sense that they look at Scott and Jean as having figured it out and made it work. Mm-hmm. And something to idolize. And it is an event that pushes Rogue and Gambit together. Uh, And I think we're going to see that play out as we return to our Rogue and Gambit uh, conversations. Yeah. Um, But yeah, okay. Uh, Anything else we need to add before we get out of here? Have we learned anything from this discussion of of trust or reading this issue? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say in, in, in... it's such a mini format and in the environment that we did because I didn't really even consider that before we pressed record and usually I do. Um, I, uh, I can't, I can't say that I've learned anything, uh, as it relates to my own relationship. I, I think your examples of trust were, uh, apt and, uh, uh biting and recognizable. <laughs> but, but like you realize like, in terms of like that specific example, my trust level has changed. Yeah, in the ten years we've been together. Like early in our relationship, like you forgetting to feed me on a regular schedule would hurt my feelings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I would go like, "Well, Brad, Con Brad, that's what we call him, Brad, Con when Brad. he's at a convention." Um, like, like before, I would take that personally. That you deprioritize that need. Now I don't take it personally at all. Now I I feel totally free to advocate for myself and and um, prioritize that particular need. Yeah, you know I think like the last thing to say is you know an um, issue like this where uh, the union finally happens after decades. You know, nineteen sixty three is the first X Men comic, and they were uh, you know Scott was pining after Jean like almost from the jump. Like, to go from 1963 to 1994 and then finally become an item, like a married couple. couple. But this is only 1994, and since this issue, so much has gone down. Gene has died a couple more times. Scott (laughs) has died a couple more times. Um, You know, they have been pulled apart. They've been pushed together. They've been pulled apart again. Uh, It's one of those things where you would like to finish this issue and go, like, my favorite couple. Happily ever after. They're together happily ever after, but... We've said this on this podcast before. Writers don't know how to write married couples. Yeah. And for as much as I love Scott and Jean, they're not a couple like Sue and Reed, right, from the Fantastic Four, where our imagination sees them together forever. 
uh, our imagination with Scott and Jean, like the way we want to see this couple is we want to see the roller coasters of Will lives. they, won't they? Yeah. Uh, similar to like the Gambit and Rogue stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, after this event, uh, Scott and Jean go on their honeymoon to the future and raise baby Cable to be adult Cable. Which we have done on an episode. Yep. I'm, I can't remember. CBCC episode three. Thank you for being there oh. with the numbers. So go back and listen to that episode. Go back and listen to our whole Scott and Jean conversations. It's you know It was our first run at this podcast, uh, but it's some of my favorite conversations that we've had. Yeah. The five love languages. Uh, Chapman, Dr. Chapman. Yeah, Dr. Chapman. All right, so that's all for today, Lisa, you think? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Next week, uh, we are still in uh, Utah, so we'll be doing another episode similar to this one without our board and no editing. With the mobile love nest unit. And we're going to return to an issue that is much more Gambit and Rogue-centric. It comes from the 2012 Gambit series, um... Written by da, 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 James Asmus and illustrated by Clayman, Leonard Kirk, and a whole bunch of other people. We're picking issue number 11. Um, and at this point in Gambit and Rogue's relationship, they have broken up. No! So expect some turmoil next week. And then in two weeks, we'll be back in the love nest and we will return to our regular scheduled program between Rogue and Remy. And we will be covering the Howard Mackey dual miniseries, the Gambit miniseries and the Rogue miniseries, which we're, we've almost finished reading. And yes, that's true. We've got thoughts on it. There's tabbies in there. Yeah, lots of tabbies, lots of tabbies. So, Lisa. Yes. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget, you can always email us at cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can ask for love advice. Yeah. You can make suggestions of couples. Yeah. You can disagree with our, with our opinions. People have done it. Like, be kind. We are very sensitive. Um, yeah. Brad. Yes. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can send all your words of affirmation to at MouthDark on all social medias. Uh, go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. That's the type of affirmation we love the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should also go to the After Movie Diner because Lisa what? is writing Sundance reviews for that website. And head on over to Film School Rejects, where I'll be writing articles on Sundance there. Uh, I, and he's also writing uh, um, about Picard. Oh, yeah. The first episode of Picard just dropped, and it is amazing. Oh, my goodness. Love, love, love you some Star Trek. Oh, man. Maybe in iteration episode 90,000, we can include some Trek comics. Oh, there's lots of good Trek comics. Okay. So, there you go, folks. Um, oh, and don't forget hmm? to commit to this podcast. Mm-hmm. on iTunes, mm-hmm. Podbean, mm-hmm. and Spotify. Mm-hmm. Subscribe to us at all of those places. Yeah, please do. Yes. Until next time, Lisa, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. I almost said your part. I know you did. That was, it was awkward. No, but we're good. No editing. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> doopy doopy. Bum, bum, bada, bum, bum,